we're about to talk about behavior hacks. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Kat, and I'm here with Jack, and today we are talking about behavior hacks for our kids. There are a lot of behaviors that our kids can present with, but there are also a lot of potential strategies that we can use to help our kids manage their own behaviors. I think when kids have trauma or when they don't have trauma, regardless, you're going to deal with behaviors. And sometimes when our kids come from places where there was a lot of trauma, you're going to see a little bit more exaggerated behaviors and more recurrent behaviors because that is a problem that lots of foster parents are dealing with this would be a great thing for us to chat about. I think all parents are dealing with behaviors, you know, on some level. And so this is a great topic for this week's episode. Keep in mind that behaviors are a form of communication. And a lot of the times our kids who've experienced trauma uh, get stuck in that fight, flight or freeze. And so instead of being able to verbalize their needs and what is wrong, it comes out in their behaviors. Definitely with younger kids, but with older kids too. Instead of saying, you know, I'm really upset about something that happened today. They walk in the house and they slam their door really loud and won't talk to anybody, you know, you know, all of that to keep in mind. But what we're just going to talk about today is very simple. We're going to talk about some things to try because as you know, I have been struggling with mini Jack has been mimicking the behaviors of baby Jack. And while baby Jack has a diagnosis to explain it and neurologically, he just can't always control himself. Mini Jack, on the other hand, does have the ability to control herself. But because she's been privy to the behaviors of her older brother, you know, she's seen the reactions that they get. Yeah. She is uh, very eager to do the same thing when she doesn't get what she wants, which is so frustrating. I had two kids that were back-to-back, too, and one was on the spectrum and one wasn't, and they both just acted like they were on the spectrum right. when they were little. You wouldn't know that one wasn't right. until they got a little older and one decided that he wanted to do some different things. When we think about behaviors, we think about just children, and it's <laughs> important to, or I like to point out that we all have behaviors. I have behaviors. You have behaviors. You're not talking about my behavior yesterday, <laughs> Uh, well, you didn't have any behavior Oh, I had bad behavior yesterday. No, I got you, so mad. I honked my horn at the people in the Walmart parking lot. I think you had um, developmentally appropriate behavior <laughs> yesterday. Um, Jack Daddy has behaviors. Yeah, mean, we all have behaviors. This is true. We lose control or we lose a feeling of control in our life. And then we end up speeding on the highway because we got to feel like we have control somewhere. Or You do know that Jack Daddy will not speed though, right? Well, I wasn't actually talking about 
Speaking about somebody else, but <laughs> I mean, I might speed. You might speed. Jack Daddy won't speed. It's breaking rules, cat. <laughs> he does not like to break rules. Um, but you know, I just mean people in general, right? right like right, right. they overstand when they feel like they have lost control, and so they feel like they have to have control somewhere else, even though they're completely self-sabotaged. You know, the nice thing about being an adult, though, but you don't have someone watching over your every move to be like, "Hey, like you're doing something wrong here," which actually is not. Sometimes it's bad. But uh, it's I, nice, I needed the barista yesterday at Starbucks to put me in a better mood so that I could check myself and be like, whoa, you know, it wasn't Jack Daddy's fault that I fussed at him for, yeah. you know, doing the dishes instead of doing something else. And I mean, it definitely was the people at Walmart's fault for being people yeah. from Walmart, but I didn't need to get as frustrated as I did. But with our kids, that's our job is to try and help them regulate their behaviors. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, I've been struggling pretty deeply with mini Jack lately as far as her mimic her brother who is neurodiverse which is right the term we're all using these days just really struggling because none of the things that are supposed to work have worked and I remember we've had a lot of conversations over the past few months um, of just me saying like I don't know what to do. Like, what would you do in this situation? And and it's hard because mini Jack, like when baby Jack's having his tantrum or meltdown or what have you, he's like legitimately upset. You can tell in him, he's struggling with the fact that he's not controlling himself, right? He's crying. He's sad. He's upset. Yeah. Mini Jack's got that big ass grin on her yeah. face the whole time she's doing it, which is so much more frustrating. Like, how can I have more empathy when she's yeah. grinning at me while she's throwing things at my face? You said there have been no improvements when there have been improvements. So I want to talk about the improvements because yeah. there definitely have been improvements. Well, I think because you've helped me and I, we've been trying some new things, but I just felt like I got everything in my wheelhouse that we're trying and none of it's making improvements. So we had to find new things. So yeah. That, that kind of helped us come up um, with this. I think every generation takes what their parents taught them and then they make improvements, right? Like our, our kids will be like, wow, why did our parents do this? And then they'll make improvements, right? That's just natural. I hope that we are more empathetic. And I think that we're doing better at seeing our children as human. Yes. And I think that you're really good at seeing your children as human. And I I think that's part of what this episode is about is like, instead of being disciplinarians and saying you threw that. And so you get a slap on the wrist or you, you know, you had a tantrum. And so now you're going to stand with your nose in the corner for 10 (laughs) minutes, which I'm I did stand with my nose in the corner. Managing behavior is more about like managing a child with empathy, recognizing that they're human. Yeah. But also managing behavior because we don't want them to turn out as, you know, serial killers. Right. <laughs> so, like the guy with the backwards upside down visor. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> He's definitely a serial killer. For sure. Side note, we were at a restaurant last night and there was a woman who seemed to be um with maybe on a Tinder date. Would you think it was a Tinder like date? A swipe, yes. For sure, like a swiping app date or something. Because she wanted to get away from him. Like, speaking of behavior, the man, (laughs) he was standing the entire time and was, like, leaning into her space. And she was She was leaning back. She was sitting back. Late 50s, early 60s. Way too old for the backwards, upside down visor. He had a visor on that was backwards and upside down. And it was, like, Easter colors black. Black, right. Like, off the golf course. Yeah. He had that spiky hair and the surfer necklace from oh, Target. Yeah. <laughs> His hair and necklace was like for middle schoolers, probably. Right. So then 
he they left and paid their bill about 30 minutes before we did and then i ran out to Publix to get flowers and when i came back so it's probably 40 45 minutes yeah they were still at probably her car yeah i think it was her car and the body language was so i mean i'm no expert i definitely was able to get um a quantity of video and photos you know in case she goes missing and somebody's looking for her it was concerning we did try to come up with a quick like plan but we couldn't figure out yeah we were hoping he'd walk away so we could like be like hey are you in trouble but the the body language was screaming that she wanted out of the situation but like she wasn't really making any motions to it also seemed like they had both uh, consumed a bit of alcohol just was really inappropriate for age and um it was backwards upside down it was really bad that was a lot anyways okay so one of the first ways that you can modify behavior in a child that is struggling is distraction. So how do you usually distract? I think it depends on the kid. You know, some kids' distraction is going to work for. Some kids, it'll work for a little bit. And some kids, is not going to work at all. When you have kids that are more on the side of being neurodiverse, distraction, in my experience at least, has very little effect. It's basically because they just shut everything out. However, with Mini Jack, it has been working really well. You know, so a lot of times I'll be like, oh, do you want to play with this toy? Or Mm -hmm. you brought up the idea of, hey, let's read a book. That was brilliant because she loves reading. And then all of a sudden she'd be in an all out meltdown and you'd be like, hey, do you want to get a book? And she'd be like, oh, yeah. (laughs) It was like a total 180. She runs and grabs a book, hops up in your lap and like wants you to read her a book. But then at a certain point in time, that stopped working. I do feel like there's like lots of different kinds of redirection and um, distraction because my kids, they can't know that I'm trying to distract them. Right. Like I have to be like, now it's time to be quiet. And then they all kind of storm off or whoever's mad has to storm off. And then if I turn on music, then they get distracted from the music. So that's kind of a more subtle way of doing it. I have to be subtle because they're older and they're really older and, and, and I feel like they're old enough that I'm like, hey, do you want to do this with me while they're mad? They'll be like, matter, which might be how Mini Jack is getting. Out. Yes. I feel like initially that totally worked, but then she reached a point where like, I know what you're doing. Yeah. I know what you're doing. I switched it over to, hey, do you, do you want to go upstairs and do my hair? And that's also even worked because she was having tantrums every time it was time to go to bed. I would just say, hey, go ahead and put your clip on real quick. We're not going to go to bed yet, but do you want to come upstairs with me and play with my hair? And she would come up and, you know, she's obsessed with doing people's hair. She would brush my hair for a little bit and then she'd be like, I'm ready to go to bed and lay down and go to sleep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I did notice the other day that she, on her own, it was the evening and she's like, honey, your hair. Yeah. And it kind of made me wonder if she recognizes on her own that she likes the way that like coming down feeling feels. She likes the way that like, um, I like to relax with mom. Yeah. She gets to hang out with me by myself. And then when she gets sick of doing my hair, she lays down and goes to sleep. It has definitely helped with the struggling going to sleep. For now, it's working. And when it stops working, we'll find something else. But distraction really has been key with her. Yeah. You guys use music, too, at different times. And so I bet stuff like that will work. Yeah. We have a lot of frustration in the car. And so music works in the house, but music also works in the car. You know, my kids get really mad at each other in the car. And it's hard to get them to stop talking to each other. We listen to a lot of audiobooks in the car. And so... Sometimes I'll just put them on and I'm like, well, I'm listening. I don't care if you guys are. And eventually they'll just stop. When I first became a foster parent and I was working with the Safe Babies program, there was an assigned therapist for the kids. She 
work very closely with me because of the struggles that the kids that I had were going through. One of the things that she really taught me about was breath work. One of the things that I will never forget and I use every single day of my life is she said, even if a child will not breathe with you, because sometimes you could say, hey, let's take some deep breaths together. And sometimes they're in a place where they are like, okay, great, let's do it. And they breathe with you. But a lot of the times, especially when they're in that fight, flight, or freeze, they won't breathe with you. And it just makes them mad. But she said, even if they're not breathing with you, if you take those deep breaths and just exaggerate it, make it loud, it will likely cause their breaths to start matching you. And so you're helping them breathe even if they won't breathe with that you. That really makes sense. So I almost always do that with my kids. That's usually my first go-to in any situation where one of my kids is just, you know, yeah. on a different meter. Can you tell me what you recently learned about having a glass of water or having a snack? I just recently took a class on TBRI. So a lot of the time... All of us are walking around dehydrated and we don't even realize it. Often when our kids are dehydrated, which they often are, they will be extra moody, like being hangry if they're dehydrated. And the same if they're hungry, they might not verbalize, you know what, I really need a snack. And they might not be big enough to just go get themselves a snack, but it's going to come out in their behavior. They're going to be more short tempered. They're going to be have a shorter fuse, more easily triggered. So one of the things that I learned in the TBRI class is, hey, if your kid's having a meltdown, one of the first things you should do is, would you like a glass of water? So even if it wasn't because they were dehydrated, I feel like it helps calm them down because when you're drinking, it slows down your breathing a little bit. So that definitely will work if your child is just kind of all over the place having a meltdown, I'll offer a glass of water. Also, sometimes they, they're hungry. They're hangry. We all get hangry. Do you get hangry? I am right now. I am hangry. <laughs> I am so excited about this dinner that I am making tonight. Jack Daddy really put the pressure on me though, right? Yeah. What was that about? This better be good for all the time you're putting into it. It's just how much I'm left. <laughs> just eat it all. Eat it. This is a good example of behavior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We all get hangry. Our kids get hangry too. All kids, but most definitely kids who've been through trauma, kids who are neurodiverse are going to be less likely to be able to isolate what it is they're upset about. They're just going to be upset. So they might be having a total meltdown, but if you gave them a peanut butter sandwich, all of a sudden things might change. One of the first two things I started doing since that class happened is as soon as my kids are having a meltdown, I offer a glass of water. And if that doesn't work, I offer a snack. It has drastically shorten the amount of meltdowns that we have had. The other thing that I learned in the class, they have this like wheel chart where you're green, you're blue, or you're red. If you're blue, you're kind of like tired and low energy, not excited, just kind of blah. If you're green, you're like eager, you're into whatever you're doing, or you're red, you're like fired up, but you're maybe also angry and frustrated and your energy is uh -huh. super high. When you're looking at your kids and what their behavior is, and you can even make one of these at home with a plate. And I actually want to do that. I haven't done it yet. And have them point at which color they are. And that could kind of help you determine which strategy to take to help them get to green. So if they're blue and they're low energy, what you might want to do is give them a sour piece of candy. It's a sour piece of candy will kind of wake them up and give them like a jolt, take them from blood or ready to go. Or if they're hot, they're in red, they're mad, they're, they're not feeling good, they're frustrated. You give them a piece of sweet candy and it'll calm them down. I want that chart. That's what they say works. And the water and the snack has been working. So I'm eager to try the other things. On that note, sometimes our kids just need to get out some energy, right? Yeah. When you've just got all of that frustration and 
stress and anger inside. Do you have any suggestions for things we could do to kind of get that energy out of us, out of our kids when we're frustrated? Well, any physical activity, bouncing a ball, jumping on a trampoline, roller skating. The trampoline is probably key in our house. And if you're a foster family, you don't have a trampoline, I suggest you get one. I know in some areas there might be rules against them, but in our particular area, as long as you have a net around it, you're fine. We just have to make sure everybody's safe. Sometimes when my kids are just losing it, I'll be like, go to the trampoline, just go jump it out. That's really been important for some of my kids to get some of that extra energy out of their body. A lot of kids who've had trauma may experience ADHD. In addition, trauma symptoms mirror ADHD. So if you give them something like that to get their energy out on, also like having them lean on a wall and like push on the wall, you know, considering sensory type things. I've got kids that really struggle with sensory. Two of them are sensory seekers and one is a sensory avoider. With my avoider, I first kind of picked up on that because like he really struggled with like the texture of clothes and socks and shoes. And he doesn't like people to touch him and hug him and pick him up. Somebody could walk over and like put their finger on his arm. And to him, it's like they just punched him in the in the face yeah. or something. He just like really struggles with overfeeling yeah. sensory. I feel like it's almost easier with the sensory seekers, even though they tend to get hurt more because they're constantly throwing yeah. their bodies around. A tight hug, weighted blankets. We used to put Jack Jr. when he was a little guy, we would burrito him. We would put yeah. a big blanket around him and do it really tight and then hug him inside of it. Those types of things really help kids that are yeah. sensory seekers. Sensory avoiders, it's hard because yeah. what they really need is an absence of sensory yeah. input. Well, and I'm, I'm not an expert. We need RG here for that. But my avoider, on the surface, he's like, don't touch me. Don't touch my feet. Don't hug me. Haircuts hurt me. Brushing teeth is difficult. Everything is hard. However, when this particular child was little, they would swing for like two hours. It wasn't just swings. It was like anything that gave a thrill. So like a zip line. That's really interesting because that's definitely a lot of sensory input. Yeah. And then this child and their brother will like crash into each other. They will wrestle. Um, it's got to be on their terms. My youngest is probably the most sensory seeker. She's knocked me over. That was the first time I recognized that there was anything that was something that we could work on when he was like two years old. He would put his head down like a bull and slam into my abdomen and I was getting bruises. And I was like, I just thought like he was my first kid. I'd never been a parent before. I'm just like, oh, he's a boy. He's got lots of energy. And one of my friends who was a teacher or something saw and was like, oh, he should get an OT email. She stopped waking up in the night when I got her a weighted blanket. Like, she really needed. She was like six. Yeah. Like, she really needed the sensory input. She wants to squeeze me. She wants to touch me. She. (laughs) Do you need a minute? (laughs) That's a lot of sensory. And it's hard sometimes when you are a sensory avoider and your child is a sensory seeker because it's like triggering to you, but you have to give them what they need. So it's like this crazy balance of making sure you're okay, but also providing the emotional support your kid needs. One of the things that we do a lot with our kids when their behaviors are starting to amp up, especially at night, like my kids, like, I don't know, don't they call it something at night when kids are just getting wild? Yeah, whatever it is, my kids are doing it every night. And when they start to get a little too much, 
Oh, do you want to take a bath? Just add water. Just, just, just add water. Add water, yeah, man. Just add water. I love I that. I believe that. Yeah, yeah and sometimes in the middle water. of the day, sometimes in the morning, um, really, I think the person that it helps the most is Baby Jack. And I don't know if it has to do with Baby Jack's needs. He has more of these meltdowns. Also, he is probably the most responsive to that just add water. And whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the afternoon, whether it's at night, whether he's already had two baths during the day, if he's having a meltdown and you offer a bath, he will jump in and his attitude will um, usually improve. Not just bath, but water play. I know a lot of people get water tables for outside. I've been a mom for 15 years. I'm not saying I'm like a veteran, veteran mom, but we've had a ton of water tables. Yeah. And you get mold, yeah. and you get critters. You you can get a couple of rubbermaids and throw some toys in. Same thing. And then you just dry out the Rubbermaid and you use it for something else. And yeah. You, know, you don't really need to buy a $50 water table. That's another episode though. Yeah. <laughs> Just add water. Bath, water, play. Just add water. Play in the sink. My kids still. love to play in the sink. Yes. Like, they'll go into the bathroom and all of a sudden you're like, what's going on? They're even there 20 minutes and they're sitting there with the sink yeah. and the soap and the water and they just have a blast. So. And it's off topic, but like, these are all, it's not just like, these are all skills that are like designed for kids to be using like these are early math skills like the pouring and the dumping and right. the measuring and the will it fit these are all early math skills these are like it's like meditative for them to be doing the pouring and the dumping remember when you came over to play with baby jack i think i was going to a court or yeah. something and you were going to watch him for me and i left and came back and i don't remember what you did but it was with maybe with bubbles or water or it might have been with shaving cream but i don't think so i think you were just playing with pouring water into water with him on the floor he was mesmerized yeah. i just took a couple um bowls like plastic bowls and i just gave him a couple cups of water and he just poured water into <laughs> poured water into water yeah over and over and i just was cautious because you have wood floors i mean and i didn't want to make anybody mad i honestly didn't care that much about your no. i just didn't want to make you mad um, and I, I was I, more worried about baby jack like you know being alive so i could well, kill us those types of things like just he responds to them so well yeah and they can kind of melt down like nobody's business it was really busy i think a lot of the meltdowns that these kids who have trauma or neurodiversity are experiencing is because their emotions and their feelings and their senses are all overloaded. So if we could find a way to not just detract from those big emotions when they happen, but also to meet those sensory needs on a regular basis, then hopefully that will maybe put a little limit to the t the amount of tantrums that end up coming out. And in addition to water play, there's lots of other sensory things. What are some other ones that we've done? We've also done shaving cream. Oh my gosh, yes. And shaving cream is great because you kind of zone out. But then you can use it for lots of other things too, like spelling words. But two of your kids were like beyond... Hilarious! Yeah. That was just like a week or two ago. That was so funny. Everybody was so concerned though about the, the shaving cream. They were like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? But it cleans up so easy. It's it was really a white... Right. And in, if anything, it like cleaned my table and yeah. cleaned anything it touched. And a lot of it just evaporated. So definitely highly recommend the shaving cream. You know, a lot of people do slime for sensory stuff, but I feel like slime gets into everything. It gets in your carpet. It gets stuck in your hair. Like So my daughter is absolutely obsessed with slime and it's everywhere. And she makes slime. She's got a little slime factory set up. Oh my. 
like her dad buys her like the slime activator and the glue and all the things you have to have to make slime. But she is a sensory seeker and she loves it. And I'm glad that he has provided that for her. And glad he keeps it in his house. (laughs) Yeah. So like, I don't want to even touch the slime. So she and I are opposites in, in that way. So I'm glad she has that. I'm mm-hmm. glad she can do the slime. One time I was on a Zoom call, and while I was on the call, she painted her entire arm green. If it's gooey and ooey and yucky, and gr- <laughs> she is all about it. I learned something recently about how the autistic brain, which is you know, not everybody we're talking about here is autistic, but I just think it's interesting how... Well, there's definitely also a crossover between the behaviors of someone with autism and the behaviors of someone with trauma. Yeah. So we're probably talking about something similar. Yes. And so how it actually receives like something like 40% more information than the neurotypical brain. A common trait of autistic people is heightened sensitivity to sound, smell, taste. Definitely. Um, which is probably why kids on the spectrum need time to decompress. Um, decompress through things like water, probably books, music, slime, maybe the, a swing trampoline all of these things we're talking about i know not every kid who has a behavior is on the spectrum but they're probably especially helpful for kids who are on the spectrum. yeah if we're talking about behaviors just being like a response to what's going on mm-hmm. in your brain and how you project it outwards then those are probably the moments where you're receiving more than your yeah. body and your mind can control in that moment yeah. and it comes out of behavior right? right like i'm no scientist i'm no doctor but that, like that kind of makes sense to me, which you need when your senses are overloaded and it's coming out in a behavior is something to calm your senses. So I think that a lot of these things really help. I have a couple other funny things, things that I have heard about, tried on my kids. Two of the things that we uh, definitely struggle with as a large family, kids having issues with each other. A lot of it tends to come from an insecurity in their relationship with that person. Well, I've got two kids that... One of them is just very dismissive of the other. And then the other one is always annoyed at the one who's dismissive. If you talk to them individually, they both express insecurities in how the other one feels about them. But instead of trying to improve that relationship because they're kids and their prefrontal cortex is not developed yet, instead of, you know, trying to improve their relationship, they treat each other like crap sometimes because they feel like the other one doesn't like them. But both of them love each other and both of them care greatly for each other. One of them copies the other one all the time. The other one is complimented by the copying, but the relationship is potentially the worst sibling relationship in the house because of their own insecurities about each other. It seemed to take heated situations and make them kind of funny and silly. So one of the two things that I do is have them hold hands. Maybe this is kind of like the get along shirt that people do on social media. So maybe I saw that and was like, well, let's try this instead because I don't want to find a shirt. (laughs) Yeah. But I would have them hold hands and complete a task, whether it's like go jump on the trampoline while you're holding hands the whole time or go out to that tree over there and come back. But you have to hold hands the whole time. Just give them a task to do and make them hold hands while they're doing it. And even if they're annoyed at each other, by the time they finish, they're usually giggling. So that's one thing I do. The other thing is I'll be like, okay, you each have to say like five nice things about each other. And then obviously hearing the other person say positive things about them makes them feel good. And they usually start off with, you know, something like, 
I like that you have a really cool brother or, you know, something like that. But then it gets to like, okay, you're kind of really good at sports and you're kind of really smart. And by the end, they're both feeling better. So those are the two things that I lean towards when two of my kids are being mean to each other. Like it forces them to be nice to each other. But even though they feel forced, it usually turns into like like a genuineness. Yeah. Yeah. I have two that have a similar situation and I feel like, you know, every now and then the magic happens and they end up playing together and I'm like, oh my gosh, look, it's like, you know, when Steve Irwin sees like an extinct animal on the prairie, you know? (laughs) There's only certain things that we can do to try and help and so much of it just kind of is up to them. It is. I don't like them to be mean to each other. It breaks my heart to see any of my kids hurting and it just is so much worse when it's from one of the other kids. But so those those are some of the things I like to do. I love taking a stressful situation and trying to make it kind of silly and funny. And I hope that that's one of the things that my kids take from me is to be able to put some humor into scary and stressful situations. We just always want to remember behaviors, our communication, our kids are hurting and life is freaking hard and it's especially hard for kids who are in foster care so try not to take things personal stop making it like everything your kid is saying and doing is to destroy and torture you yeah Um, i do think remembering that behavior is communication like once you really get that i i mean i'm not saying i've got it figured out because i definitely and it doesn't mean you won't get frustrated you do when you understand that behavior is communication it becomes a lot more clear even adult behavior becomes a lot more clear we just need a translator. Yeah. And that's where Archie comes in. That's where Miranda comes yeah. in. And each other. Sometimes I need you to come in and be like, hey, Kat, what is she trying to tell me? Because yeah. like, I can't tell if this is like an attention-seeking thing. No. Maybe all she needs is shaving cream. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.